Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Companies that set out to change the world should stand for something. Something that matters. For Tanium, it was managing and protecting the world's growing number of endpoints. Tanium empowers organizations to embrace digital transformation and change the way people both work and live. They help critical government agencies see what's coming protect and defend five branches of the U.S. military, and more than half of the Fortune 100 rely on Tanium to manage and secure their critical assets. To learn more, visit Tanium.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. A vast universe exists within and beyond our reality. What we realize with our five senses is but a tiny fraction of all that is real. Welcome to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent, and I'll be your guide and advocate as we remove the blinders of our everyday lives and experience together all that exists out there in the world beyond our world. Welcome to the show today, folks. We have an exciting guest on for this hour. Miguel Connor is the host of Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio, a premier occult podcast that brings ancient mysteries to modern meeting, especially the forbidden wisdom of the Gnostics. For more than 10 years, he has interviewed some of the best and brightest in Gnostic and religious studies, as well as Western esoterica and alternative history, including Bart Ehrman, Elaine Pagels, Karen King, Tim Freak, and many more. In 2006, Connor participated in an ayahuasca ceremony and changed from being an open-minded Catholic to a full-blown Gnostic heretic, all mostly due to a vision of a forgotten Gnostic deity. He is the author of critically acclaimed Voices of Gnosticism and Other Voices of Gnosticism, and also the post-apocalyptic vampire epic series The Dark Instinct Trilogy. 
and as well as the fantasy novel The Executioner's Daughter. His articles and fiction have appeared in such publications as the Gnostic Journal, The Heretic, Mindscape, Reality Sandwich, and the Sumerian Journal, and many others. He has lectured and appeared at such events as the Golden Dawn, Mythicist Milwaukee, The Alan Eisenberg Show, Magic Radio, Rune Soup, Skeptico, Southern Bell Humanism, and the Gnostic Countercultures Conference at Rice University. Welcome to the show, Miguel. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, hey, the pleasure is on this side of the mic, let me assure you. <laughs> so how did your journey lead you to, uh, to these ends? Where did you come from and how did you get here? Yeah, that's a, that's a million-dollar question, I guess, $64,000 question. I mean, uh, all my life I was sort of that explorative kid, you know, the weird kid who played Dungeons & Dragons and read a lot of sci-fi and asked too many questions and got in too much trouble. So I've always been a seeker. I was raised Roman Catholic, but uh, pretty open-minded in my family. My dad was an atheist. My mom was into the whole ecumenical stuff. So I was always searching, and um, <clears throat> you might say the Gnostics – were always in my radar. When I went to Catholic college, the priest would tell us, watch out for those ancient heretics, and we'd more or less study them. But uh, as I searched, I began to gain more and more interest, and I started studying them. And in um, 2006, I uh, really started reading the Nag Hammadi Library. And of course, when you start reading Gnosticism, you have to read Carl Jung and Philip K. Dick because their ideas are so informed by them. You might even say that they were full-blown Gnostics in their own right. So I began delving deeper, and it really was, as uh, your introduction says, I went uh, home to Portugal, which is my homeland, and my uncle was involved in this shamanistic uh, Christian group called um, Santo Daime, and they participated in uh, ayahuasca ceremonies, and during one of those ceremonies, I had sort of a, an astral flight, a vision that I flew out of my body, and I saw the void, as you might say, when uh, in, in the Eastern thought, when you lose uh, completely your ego and you're falling into this complete darkness, this complete wholeness. But it sort of had a form, and this form told me that his, it was Abraxas. I was seeing the all, this sort of God above God that the Gnostics wrote about and Carl Jung wrote about. So after that vision, I came down, participated more and started really deeply exploring the Gnostics and their their history and their impact on society. Started AM by Gnostic Radio, uh, writing articles and books, and here I have. I've been on this journey for the last decade, and I must say it just uh, that that moment was weird, but things are just getting weirder and weirder, especially with the culture today. Yeah, the culture is not really all that accepting of uh, that kind of thought. Yeah, most you might people. Still, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say most people who uh, either seek out or participate in a uh, ayahuasca ceremony normally turn, you know, full out to paganism. But you chose Gnosticism as your as your vehicle of pursuit. Mm -hmm. I would say so. Even before that, I explored Buddhism. I uh, explored paganism for a while. I was an atheist, and but it was just it was just too boring. But what I found is that the Christian mythology, the images, work better for me because that's what I grew up with, the Christian mythology. 
and uh, and of course the mythology simply those images and behind those images are the answers the forces uh, that allow you to waken up and bring peace and expanded consciousness so and of course santo daime is based on uh, christianity but of course they're very shamanistic christianity mixed in with uh, brazilian um, culture and lore so I just found that the Christian myth, uh, the Christian well, myth. Well, I'm going to have to let you get back to that in just a moment. We've got to cut sure. to our first break, and when we come back, we'll continue. My friends, you're listening to the World Beyond Radio Show, and our guest this hour is Miguel Connor. We'll be right back in just a moment. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud? Or for more insidious reasons? 
What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500 plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Back to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent, and this hour we're talking to Miguel Connor about Gnosticism and his journey into Gnosticism. So, what exactly is Gnosticism? That's a good question, Joe. Uh, Gnosticism for most is this ancient Christian her- heresy that appeared in the first, second century, early days of Christianity. And it was uh, violently rejected by the church. Uh, you might say almost exterminated. Although it sort of gay, it uh, it has it uh, sort of rose throughout history in the forms of the Manichaeans, the medieval Cathars, Sufis, Kabbalists, and so forth. But they were, you might say, very different. They were very allegorical Christians who posited that we lived in a false world that this world was completely ruled by these, uh, you might say, alien entities called the Archons, uh, headed by this being called the Demiurge, who they associated with the Old Testament God, and that uh, we did not belong in this world. Our, our, our true home was in the stars or beyond the stars to this place where there was, uh, or this state of mind where this, uh, this entity or this intelligence called the God above God, although, they, of course, they had many names in their different scriptures. And uh, you might say a um, this this intelligence would send down a Gnostic revealer, and the Gnostics uh, presented many of these Gnostic revealers, like Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Sophia, even the Buddha, and some of the more in, in the Manichaean texts. And we could awaken to our true selves. Within us was something called the divine spark, which was a shard of infinity. And once we could awaken, we could commune with this God above God and awaken to our true divine self and become, you might say, um, as the Gnostics wrote, Christ while alive. We could become our own uh, uh, living Christ or cosmic Christ, and we could begin, we could make further contact with the God and break away from this material reality. And of course, woven through that, you had uh, a lot of myths about the divine feminine, you had the concept of Gnosis, which was central to the Gnostics, which was, a you might say, a special kind of knowledge where we could see the reality and break down the reality that was around us and see a transcendental world that we truly belong to. 
And for most people, when they, it might seem complicated, especially when you read their Byzantine text, I always say just uh, watch The Matrix. When you watch movies like The Matrix or um, The Truman Show, you can really see a Gnostic parable right there. We are all Neos, and it's a matter of are we gonna, are the few of us going to take the red pill that's given to us by the Gnostic revealer Morpheus and awaken to uh, get out of Zion and sort of start our own little war against the Matrix. And the architect who uh, and, and Agent Smith who control the Matrix would be associated with the Archons and the Demiurge. So in a nutshell, that's Gnosticism for you. Now, while that's a, an ancient uh, uh, train of thought, is that still followed today in that form, or has Gnostic, Gnosticism uh, evolved over the centuries? It, it obviously has evolved. For example, today, the only, you might say, unbroken chain we have from ancient times of the Gnostics are the Mandeans and perhaps the Yazidi in the Middle East. As many of you have probably seen in the news, they have been violently persecuted by uh, in, in, the, in the few years ago by Saddam Hussein's regime and today by ISIS. And they have evolved throughout the years. Uh, but they still, although they might not have such a bad view of reality, well, maybe they do today with all the wars, they still see us as sort of aliens and strangers in this world, and they still believe that the ultimate uh, expression of humanity is this, nola, this gnosis, gnosis, this knowledge of something that's beyond us, beyond this illusion, and we can transcend the world and again become divine beings. So, But it has evolved throughout history. Again, I mentioned the Sufis, you've got Kabbalists, uh, you have the Cathars, in the Middle Ages that Dan Brown made very famous in the Da Vinci Code. So the Gnostic strain has appeared and appears certainly in art in different places. I mentioned Philip K. Dick, but authors like William Blake and uh, William Burroughs, um, Philip Pullman have been very influenced by Gnosticism. So, it, so it, yeah, it is around and it has evolved, but it's always been very underground because the Gnostic ideas are so radical. So other than the, the thought of the ancient things running the earth, what makes it so radical? <clears throat> well, you have to look at uh, old forms of uh, religiosity. You, uh, in ancient times, you had certain models. One model was, you might say, the obedience model. We had man, and then you had the gods. And the gods called the shots, and we sort of sacrificed to them and did what they want so bad things wouldn't happen and so forth. Then it evolved a little bit. You had the what you might call the covenant model, and you find this with the ancient Israelites and the Jews, where you, a god, you make a deal, a bargain with the god, and the god sort of takes care of your tribe and becomes sort of your guardian and so forth, but you're still uh, obedient to this god. Third model, you have the shamanistic model, and that is when uh, certain humans could begin taking flights, astral flights, and making contact with this God, experiencing this God. But ultimately, it was really to, uh, it would only belong to the few, and ultimately the God was still in charge. The Gnostics came in the early Christian times, perhaps even before, with a very radical model that said, no, the gods are completely, uh, they are deficient. They are running this universe very poorly, they ultimately might even be demonic and they've created sort of this matrix. We can bypass these gods and make contact with a superior idealistic intelligence beyond the material universe and become part and share in the essence of this god and become 
in a way, this God, like I said, a Christ while living, and in a way, humans were superior to the gods who were running this uh, this counterfeit universe. So that was very radical because in ancient times, and even today, it still happens. The gods make the rules, and it sort of uh, trickles down, as you might say, trickle down theology, where their their um, their orders trickle down. And we have the governments, we have the churches, we have the order nature, and everything's fine. The Gnostics said, no, this is all wrong. We are more anarchists. We are getting beyond the gods and the root and the representatives and the governments and the churches uh, in the spirit world, and we are getting out and we're getting beyond. So that was very radical in those days, and they were persecuted for it. And even, and like I said, throughout history, it was very radical to have a complete rejection. It doesn't mean that there were violent or disobedient it was more of a metaphysical stance and it's uh, it's very controversial even today to say that nobody wants to say nature is bad or we all hope that there is some sort of providence in this world but in the end the gnostics rejected all of this and uh, they paid for it now some uh, gnostic thought and some gnostic authors have have posited that the concept of Gnosticism predates the arrival of Jesus and that they absorbed some of Jesus' teachings into their worldview and then kind of adopted it from there. And they were amongst the earliest Christians trying to, to, to decipher how things are going to move forward after his death. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? How far back do you think that this, uh, this thought pattern goes? I think, I think you're, you're basically, <clears throat> excuse me, I think you're basically right, Joe. I mean, um, the this idea that the universe was managed by, you might say, inferior beings was already in the air when you start reading such texts, uh, texts before Christianity, like the Book of Enoch and so forth. You show that we have these fallen angels running things. You can even go to the, or even in the Old Testament, in the Book of Daniel, you have this... Uh, uh, Gabriel says, well, I was just fighting the prince of Persia. He wasn't talking about a physical person. He was talking about this god or this angelic being that was ruling, that, that was giving command to the region of Persia. So in Judaism, that was already there because people were starting to ask a lot of questions about the world. You can even go to Plato. I mean, uh, Plato did come up with the concept of the demiurge, this sort of a lower god that runs the, the universe. But he, he put him as a benign being. But if you read something like the allegory of the cave, you already have sort of a proto-Gnosticism where we are trapped in this cave with shadows and we need to get out into a, a better world, which to Plato was the world of ideas. And of course, you have before that in paganism, the cult of Orpheus that said that we were uh, part of the essence of the god Dionysus that was trapped in this world, mingled with the essence of the Titans. And so that was already in the air. And even in the writings of St. Paul, Paul is already talking about powers and principalities, the God of this world that rules, how uh, we, met, we must make contact with, with, uh, with Yahweh, which nobody knew, which the Jews and the pagans had not known. He was sort of this unknown God, and we can have knowledge and we can be initiated into higher mysteries. So this was this was in the air, but you might say it sort of really coalesced with the Gnostics in the first and second century. And again, they simply took Jesus as their uh, their Gnostic revealer, their Mor Morpheus, who was giving the mysteries. And they they always speculated on different uh, different ways that this could happen. Uh, the church fathers like Irenaeus would complain that. 
they were just pumping out fan fiction here and there. But it was sort of a inner therapy to write these myths and uh, reinvent them. And that's what they did. They rewrote Old Testament texts over and over again to find different answers, different insights. I mean, we all do it with fan fiction. We watch different versions of a movie, Batman or Spider-Man. And we all, by, by facing this myths, we find different insights and different psychic changes within them. So in essence, that's what the Gnostics were doing. And again, it sort of coalesced in the first, second century through all these different streams. Philosophically speaking, isn't all religion simply a grasping at why it all is? You know, the the very first peoples that, that traveled the earth looked at the sun and the stars and the moon and the rivers and, and why animals have to eat other animals to survive and, and tried to formulate why is it this way. And that's where all these old pantheons that are culturally centered eventually came about was an explanation of nature. How does Gnosticism derive itself from those beginnings? Well, I think you're right. I mean, uh, I would say, as some scholars would say, as long as we are finite beings in an infinite system, we're all we're all eventually going to create metaphysical constructs. I mean, our mind is wired to understand the deeper questions and get beyond that and find all these, uh, like you said, these deep questions that uh, that we all want to know as humans. But uh, the Gnostics, as I mentioned, they were shamanistic at their core. They, of course, were very philosophical. When you read their texts, you see these very educated people who understood Jewish scripture, they understood uh, Platonic philosophy, they knew of the pagan lore. And of course, we have historical records that they were going to the big universities in ancient times. They were educated men and women. and. Uh, but they were shamanistic. They believed in an experience, a transformative experience. And they had different rituals, uh, varied rituals. In the end, it wasn't so much the rituals. You find rituals from sex magic to simply sacramental rituals, where, which, was very sim which were very similar to the Catholic Church. But in the end, it was all about getting this experience, leaving the body, leaving the mind, making contact with this higher intelligence that could heal you, make you whole, maybe even give you some answers, but at least, uh, again, make you divine, expand your consciousness and go from there. So I think that's the important thing about them is that they were shamanistic and they were very mystical. So it, it came not from being taught from without, but experiencing it from within. Yeah, it's both. I mean, like I said, uh, the concept of knowledge, uh, as Elaine Pagel says, it's uh, it's uh, a knowledge of yourself as you go within, because that's part of it. You're going within, as uh, also you're going without, because uh, as I always say, the journey to. Well, I want to get back to that as soon as we come back from our break, my friends. You're listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host Joe Weijen, and we are talking with Miguel Connor. We'll be right back in just a moment. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. 
This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influence her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Welcome back to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host, Joe Wegent, and we are talking with Miguel Connor on Gnosticism. Uh, 
Miguel, Gnosticism kind of uh, exists in a pocket all its own. It's neither pagan nor is it Christian, and both sides kind of view it as this uh, anathema, something that shouldn't be because the pagans can't uh, accept it because it seems to be too Christian, and the Christians can't accept it because it seems to be far too pagan. So where does it really sit? Does it, does it eschew all of them, or does it absorb all of them? I think uh, it's kind of uh, either or both, because the Gnostics historically, you might say some have called them a sort of a parasite movement. They would they were always underground and they always appeared outwardly like the culture around them. They uh, the, like the church fathers would complain that uh, they acted like Christians, talk like Christians, same with the pagans. So they were, you might say, invisible. What they were doing is they were absorbing the different uh, uh, religious rituals to create an experience and adopting them for their own. What separated against them and what really annoyed them, because when you read a lot of the historical text, people loved them. For in the medieval times in France and uh, in Asia, in the Roman Empire, throughout history, people saw them as very kind, very cultured, very empathic people because they had been transformed by these experiences. And of course they believed in the whole idea of being kind to others and charity and so forth. They were beloved, but once it got up to, you might say the religious and secular authorities, whether it was pagan, whether it was Muslim, whether it was Christian, that became dangerous because again, they were rejecting the status quo. They were saying, look, your gods, your temples, your political institutions are ruled are deficient. They are ruled by these, by these, uh, you might say, uh, deficient angels or metaphysical beings, and it is all wrong. And we need to reject this and find new, new, um, new systems. And the way to do that is to again take these shamanistic journeys into the beyond the stars and make contact with this higher God and change it. So that's what that's truly what made the Gnostics so dangerous and why they were rejected so vehemently across time in all cultures. Like I said, they were persecuted in Asia, Western Europe, the Middle East and so forth. How does one begin to uh, explore some of these uh, astral journeys that you've mentioned? Uh, does one need to like go join a Gnostic church? How does one <laughs> is, find a Gnostic church? How does one begin to take these journeys to uh, self-exploration and self-discovery? Well, that's the key, Joe. They are not, there are Gnostic churches today that have different rituals. But again, the key is, is uh, like Neo, you, what is, he knows that there's something wrong with this world and it's driving him mad, like Morpheus tell him. The, the, the journey starts when you feel um, you've had enough of this world. You realize that uh, everything seems to be illusion. Everything seems to be a lie. You feel like you've been lied to by all the institutions and you're having an existentialist crisis of sorts. And you begin knowing that there must be something beyond this. So what does a Bob Dylan say? There must be some way out of here, said the Joker to the thief. And uh, you, then it's about finding the different rituals. The Gnostics were very individualistic. They never had like a, you might say a manual. They would break up into different lodges and these lodges would spread out and they would try different rituals. Some might use entheogens, some might use sex magic, some might simply use contemplative uh, exercises like writing and meditation and so forth. The important thing is all is finding the rituals for the individual that would give you an experience and contact with a higher form of intelligence 
and also break through the illusion of this world. So in the end, my answer would be like, look, I don't know what your spiritual or mental makeup is. You need to find the different rituals that work for you, mix and match it, and then continue with your journey of gnosis, of waking up to the matrix, of uh, of going beyond this world and so forth, and uh, finding things that will uh, awaken the God within you, explore your inner worlds as well as your outer worlds. Because as I always say, the journey within to finding your true self is the same distance as the journey outwards to the true God. It is, And in a way, it's the same journey. The journey within is the same as the journey without. And it all comes to a true awakening of yourself and a true uh, falling apart of the illusion around you. So what is the Gnostic view of the afterlife? What happens to us after we die? They had different views. It, it, it's almost like they it was... It almost seems tacked on to the Gnostics because they, as I mentioned, it was all about being a Christ now. When you become awakened, it's almost like you, that becomes not an important question because you are experiencing the all. You're experiencing the entire universe and the multiverse at once. But they did speculate. For the most part, it seems that they believed in some form of reincarnation. Maybe not the traditional form of reincarnation, but of sort of... Uh, as we lose our body, we go through different levels of the universe because they always divided the universe into heavens or dimensions, and each dimension got closer to the true font of all existence. And these uh, dimensions were sort of guarded by archons and angels, which you had to go through and give passwords or get into some sort of magical battle. So, but it was basically you would reincarnate to different levels of this universe and in each universe you'd find a different answer but they speculated a lot they some of them assumed that people who who have a choice to waken up and don't waken up to this world might just uh, you know dissolve into nothingness so that was always an option so again they speculated on death but for the most part it seems reincarnation different forms of reincarnation was what they really embraced so did they get that from the Buddhists, or did the Buddhists get it from them? No, no. I mean, the idea of reincarnation was already in the air. It's sort of been, uh, you might say, vanquished or whitewashed from Western culture. But this, uh, the idea of reincarnation was already there. The Jewish, the Jews speculated on it. Uh, pagan pagans, a lot of pagans believed in reincarnation too. Uh, including the Neoplatonists and so forth. So reincarnation was in the air, it was speculated upon, and in many circles in ancient times with pagans and even Christians like the Church Father Origen was accepted or as a possibility for the afterlife. I've also read that uh, the Church fully embraced reincarnation until the, the uh, Council of Nicaea in 325, in which it was... Uh, banished and declared a heresy at that point. So it was much more broad than what it is now. Is that right? I don't know if it was the Council of Nicaea. I think the Council of Nicaea really was trying to get rid of the Arian heresy, which was more about the nature of Jesus. But you're right, through several councils around that time, reincarnation was eventually just uh, taken out of the book, and the idea of a simple heaven and a simple hell was accepted and embraced by the Church. It just seemed an easier way to uh, control people, if uh, if I might say so. <laughs> 
So modern Gnosticism has eventually resurfaced because of the discovery of the uh, the codices at Nag Hammadi. What is the Nag Hammadi library and why is it so uh, vital today for Gnosticism? Yes, uh, well, it, it was already embraced. Uh, there was a 19th century occult revival, and uh, this was because the earlier Gnostic texts like the Pistis, Sophia, and so forth were discovered. And uh, this was uh, there was a Gnostic revival, and certain uh, Gnostic churches appeared from France, and even in occult circles like uh, with Aleister Crowley, he has the Gnostic math mass and so forth. So Gnosticism was sort of incorporated in the esoterica. But yes, in 1945, the Nag Hammadi Library was discovered in uh, Upper Egypt, and it had over 50 codices that were saved from the from the first few centuries of Christianity. And that uh, it took a while. It took many decades for that to be uh, translated. We only had the first English translation in 1979. But that gave a resurgence to Gnosticism, and several Gnostic churches have spread out uh, throughout the world, and an interest has grown with it. I mean, there's a lot of things, too, other things, too, like... Uh, the revived popularity of Carl Jung, Philip K. Dick's novels are big. Um, again, movies like the, the Matrix and Inception, The Truman Show, and even uh, the Lego Movie have created a, a big interest or a, a bigger interest in Gnosticism. But of course, I feel it's always going to be niche because, again, as humans, it's very hard for us to simply accept that. Uh, everything we've been told is a lie. The hold of reality is a construct kept to imprison us. So it will always be a niche, but I think as a philosophical view, it's uh, it's very it's very important, especially in these weird days where it seems we're being lied to by every politician, uh, religious leader, government agency, and everything, where it seems like the whole of reality is one big fake news. So in a way, I think the Gnostics uh, are more important than ever. The Theophysis, or, uh, Theosophical Society back in the late 1800s, and that led to the uh, Anthroposophical, Anthroposophical Society for, in uh, Europe. All of them were a, uh, somewhat of a resurgence of Gnosticism. What happened to those kinds of groups? It, you know, like you said, Aleister Crowley and, and some of his churches that he started in England. What happened to those groups? Oh, they're still around. They might not. <clears throat> they might not have the the punch they used to have because 19th, 19th century occultism was sort of a, a reaction to the materialize, materialism that sort of uh, had come had come because of the age of enlightenment. It seemed that spirituality had been thrown out the door. We, lived, we were living in a very rational society into the 19th century. Evolution was uh, becoming very popular. So it was a reaction because basically things were really getting boring. It seemed we were just machines and we lived in a mechanistic world. So uh, these groups came up to sort of go back and explore the metaphysical choices of the past. And uh, we still have the Theosophical Society, the Thelema is still is still around and so forth. But again, it might not have that uh, punch it had before, but the, they're still around. A lot of... Um the ancient church, especially the Roman Catholic, and whenever the, the, the schism occurred between the Roman and the Eastern part of that church, uh, the Eastern kept the iconography that was mostly dropped, especially after the Reformation. That symbolism, how important is that to uh, the self-discovery that's uh, found in Gnosticism? 
Oh, it's very important. I mean, there is a, a quote I always like from the Gospel of Philip, which you can find in the Nag Hammadi Library, which says, Truth did not come into the world, it came into type and images. The only way to know the truth is you have to go through that image. And that's very commonplace in Hinduism. Everybody has uh, their own little statues of the gods, their own little small temple in their homes. Because when you meditate on the image, because as, as humans, that's how our brain works, you can go beyond that image and find the energies behind that image, those archetypes that really form the collective unconscious, which is the font where we find all the answers. And the Gnostics would call this the pleroma, the all. So the symbols are very important because, again, they lead through meditation, through ritual. They lead through answers and they lead to those energies that can make us whole and can awaken us. So I would say it's very important. How do we decipher what the images and the, sim the symbolism behind them, how do we decipher that before we can meditate on them? Well, that's a good. That's another good question. Again, the Gnostics would say they were men of reason. They say this needs to be studied. I mean, like Carl Jung would study all the images around the world, and he would come up with the archetypes and what these mean and what they can mean in our unconscious processes. So, uh, it's, uh, knowledge, rational knowledge, is important to understand what these images are, how they have evolved to throughout time, how our culture uses these images or sometimes misuses us to uh, manipulate us. Once you find those answers, then it's a matter of really meditating, focusing upon them, and finding well, I want to get right back to that in just a second, but I have to take a break right now. Folks, you're listening to the World Beyond Radio Show, and we are talking with Miguel Connor on Gnosticism. We'll be right back in just a minute. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, 
X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back, my friends. You are listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I'm your host and guide, Joe Wegent. As always, our show is produced and distributed by the ever-expanding leader in New Age, paranormal, alternative health, and supernatural programming, the X-Zone Broadcast Network and Relmar McConnell Media Company at their corporate headquarters and master control in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. To learn more about the World Beyond Radio Show, your host, or to discover a wealth of other amazing shows and hosts, please visit www.xzbn.net. To contact me to inquire about being a guest on the show, you can email me at Joe Wegent, that's Joe, W-E-I-G-A-N-T, at xzbn.net. For more information, you can also visit my websites, paranormalpeace.com, and Reiki Choice, that's R-E-I-K-I, choice.com. Our guest this hour has been Miguel Connor. Miguel, how can our listeners reach you? 
Uh, they would simply have to go to thegodabovegod.com. And that is my website, and they'll find information on my podcast, newsletter, articles, uh, all my social media channels, and all other good heretical stuff they can uh, sort of latch on and learn about the Gnostic heresy and how could it influence, how can it influence and help us and help them in these modern days. I love the fact that you still keep using the word heresy. That's uh, that's. <laughs> well, uh, there is an interesting way why I use it. Uh, yeah. The word heresy comes from the Greek for to make a choice. And it was in the context in early Christian times of to make a choice away from the standard. Orthodoxy means straight thinking or straight choice. Heresy meant those who veer from the party line or the mainstream thought. So in our days, it's somebody who blasphemes or sins or something like that. But in its true context, I like it because it always means somebody who's make, who's gone away from the mainstream and found their own path. <laughs> well, then I guess my show is heretical because that's what oh, I'm trying to do here is just you know uh, teach people that there are other ways to look at the world and there's so much more out there if they just uh, take a moment and look. So we were talking about symbolism and iconography when we went to break, do you think that um, the Protestant view of getting away from symbolism and iconography and any kind of imagery, do you think that they have lost something along the way by doing that, or have they purified their their thought by getting away from images and pictures? I would say so, but I'm just speaking from my point of view. I mean, this debate has been happening on forever. You had in the Byzantine Empire uh, centuries ago, you'd have uh, these debates and these fights, and one emperor would say, no, we got to destroy all iconography. Then the next emperor would say, no, because these images, again, lead us to the truth, and they're meditative uh, tools for us. And this went back and forth. You have this in Islam going on for centuries in different places. I would say it, take, it does take us away from, you might say, magical and artistic thinking, because, again, we are beings that need, <clears throat> we need images, and uh, we need to meditate on these images, and we need to contemplate on these images. We need to create these images. I always say that the thing with the Gnostic is they were pumping out Gospels, and a lot of them were doing, uh, they were creating a lot of art, because as part of the true God, who is a, a, a creator, we need to create like the gods. And sometimes, as they say, in some forms of Judaism, God needs us more then we need him. So we need to help him create better worlds, better options, and so forth. So I think, yeah, when you start taking that away, man's artistic ability, creative ability, you start to stifle his very soul. So yes, I, I would say personally, yes. So we've mentioned Carl Jung uh, quite a bit during our show today. Was he a Gnostic? Was he a mystic? Was he a philosopher? Was he a psychologist? What was he and what does he bring to the buffet here? I would say he was all of the above. I mean, in a way, he was like the true philosopher was in ancient times, somebody like Socrates. He was a, a Renaissance man who knew that man's ability to expand his mind and consciousness would include all these things and could expand to all these different areas. Uh, he is known as a psychologist, but he was very influenced by the Gnostics. He himself said the Gnostics were history's first true dead psychologists. Because when you read their text, not only are they contemplative and meditative, but they really start describing the process of, of the mind and the processes of why we do these things and uh, pathologies and other things in, in ancient, and couched in an ancient form. But they were doing 
uh, a form of psychology that nobody else was doing. So he thought their ideas were very powerful and they were instrumental in his own ideas, which are the foundation of modern psychology. I would say he was a mystic because he had visions, he had experiences, and these appear in certain texts in his book, uh, The Seven Sermons of the Dead, where he talks about Abraxas. And of course, they appear in his uh, Red Book that was published not too many years ago, where he had to go into an inward journey, which ended to be this journey into the, you might say, the collective unconscious, into other worlds where he had to find answers and decipher the own symbols of his life so he could find healing. So, although um, the modern community still thinks, well, it was just sort of a, an exercise and so forth, I would say, yeah, he was definitely a full-blown-on mystic and certainly a Gnostic. So, they were, you're saying that the Gnostics and some of their earlier texts actually were an exposition on psychology and human thought, and that's where he drew his, uh, some of his inspiration. What were they saying at that time? Well, when in a lot of their texts, when they're describing the God above God or Abraxas, whatever you would call it, the, again, these are just names they use, they would describe it as this giant mind, the perfect mind, full of creativity, positive thoughts, uh, you know, uh, virtuous concepts, and so forth. And they thought, wow, there is this ideal mind, this platonic mind that is perfect, that is healed. We can have that mind, too, because we are, in a way, uh, maybe not our bodies, but our minds, our psyches, our souls are in the image of this God. It's just that we've forgotten who we are. We've become fragmented. We've become injured. So if we can heal through these, uh, through these rituals, through meditation and so forth, we can heal and become like the mind of God, and we could become, again, that mind. I mean, Paul talks about the mind of Christ. His ideas, in a way, were very Gnostic. So I think Jung sort of, <clears throat> he understood this, and he took that uh, ideas because I think like the Hermetics, the pagan Gnostics used to say in their texts, uh, we are housed in the universe, but the universe really is housed within us. We have the power to create something better or at least create... Uh, um, uh, realities that are better for ourselves and heal our minds. When one starts to study Gnosticism, they're going to run into terms like cosmic Christ and collective consciousness uh, repeatedly throughout uh, anything that they read or study. Are these things the same? Are they different? What do they mean? Uh, well, <clears throat> again, the Gnostics were writing, again, when you have an experience you're never going to be able to really record it right. I mean, what did Lao say? The the Tao that is spoken is not the Tao. The Tao. So, but you do have to create those images in order to find pointers and anchors to it, and of course to to show it to the world what you've discovered, and hopefully they can find their own path. So they were writing different uh, texts. And in this text, they might use different names, but they sort of say the same thing about, uh, again, an alien intelligence that we can make contact with in an illusionary world. I like this quote, and I always give this to people who are reading the Nag Hammadi Library because their text can seem very psychedelic, almost uh, Lovecraftian, <clears throat> with these universes of light and fighting and fighting these uh, alien beings called the Archons and the Demiurge and, uh, you know, flying across space and all that. But uh, William T. Volman in the New York Times, he wrote, 
as a corpus, the Gnostic scriptures are nearly incoherent, like a crowd of sages, mystics, and madmen all speaking at once. But always they call upon us to know ourselves. And I think that's really the central theme of the Gnostics, because again, quoting Elaine Pagel, she said that Gnosis is to, when you know yourself at the deepest level, you will know God, and that's the secret of Gnosis. So what is the, the centralized view of Mary Magdalene within Gnosticism? Well, unlike uh, the Orthodox narrative, and you see these in a lot of the texts in the Nag Hammadi Library, you see it in the Gospel of Mary, uh, texts like the Pistis Sophia, Dialogue with the Savior. She is not just seen, she is seen as really the main disciple of Jesus. I think is in the Dialogue of the Savior, Jesus says, she is the woman who knows the all. She is the one person on this earth who gets Jesus's message of waking up, his gnosis. And uh, so she was seen as a very important figure and uh, perhaps even as a community leader, as a religious leader herself. And uh, some have said that she is actually an avatar of uh, Sophia. Sophia is the lost wisdom of, of God in many of the Gnostic texts who has fallen down to earth but is helping humanity sort of restore itself, waking up. Again, I go back to the Gnostic revealer thing and Morpheus. So Mary Magdalene is definitely seen as a very important figure. You might say some as a concert of Christ, and I don't mean that as a, a romantic thing, but she is sort of the alchemical female principle that when joined to the male principle of Christ, they become whole and they become unified. Again, going to this whole unified mind of God where all, um, all genders, all sexes, all different forms are unified into one balanced expression or energy. So was she the bride of Jesus? Was she his wife? We don't know that. Uh, from the Gnostic texts and ancient texts, I don't think we could even say that as much as Dan, Dan Brown might want to say that. There is <laughs> things like the Gospel of Philip where Jesus says, you know, he loved her more than all the disciples and kissed her often in the mouth. The thing well, is, it is uh, very uh, amazing to have you with us today. Uh, it has been an, an exploratory hour. And uh, I would love to have you back again. Folks, you have been listening to the World Beyond Radio Show. I am your host, Joe Wegent, and thank you for tuning in.